The book of Revelation is probably the most exciting and at the same time the most misunderstood book in all of Scripture. The Come Follow Me study for 2023 is all about the New Testament. The book of Revelation sums up the whole New Testament. In this podcast, we discuss why John the Revelator refers to the Savior as the Bridegroom. I'm Sam Bracken, your host, and our teacher is Dr. Breck England, who has spent much of the last seven years studying the book of Revelation. He's about to publish his research in a new book, The Bright and Morning Star, Finding and Following Christ in the Book of Revelation. Breck, Revelation talks a lot about a marriage between a bridegroom and a bride. Can you discuss what that's all about? Well, you remember that the Savior appeared to John on the island of Patmos in the cave temple, right? You remember this? Yes. And he came out from behind the veil wearing the robes that the high priest of Israel wore on the Day of Atonement. Well, John says that his face was shining like the sun in his strength. Well, all through the Psalms, we get this picture of the Savior as um, like the sun uh, in the sky. Mm -hmm. Um, God hath set a tabernacle for the sun which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. That's in Psalm 19. When the bridegroom comes out of his chamber, and he's adorned like the high priest of the Day of Atonement. Okay, um, The scriptures often liken the Savior to a bridegroom, right? Jesus himself calls himself the bridegroom like a dozen times in the New Testament. Wow. Um, and... And he's, he's comparing himself to a bridegroom um, and the house of Israel to his bride. Does that make sense? Um, he compares the covenant between God and Israel to a marriage. All the way through the, the scriptures, he does this. Yeah, that makes this sense. This is fairly well known, okay? Right, right. Now, now, we know that the marriage covenant is central to God's plan. And so it should be no surprise that John uses the marriage covenant as the framework for the entire book of Revelation. This is a key insight. Here is an, a, a New Testament scholar named Eliza Rosenberg. She's not LDS, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, she says this, and this is a quotation I want to read, okay? Quote, Revelation embeds the wedding theme more deeply than is necessarily apparent to modern readers. In other words, you can't readily see it, but it's embedded in the book of Revelation. John uses references that would have been plain to his initial audience. They would have understood that, uh, the ancients, right? For example, the song acclaiming the impending wedding of the Lamb and the Bride uh, and the detailed description of the New Jerusalem's clothes and preparation as the bride in chapter 19. Uh, the adornment of the celestial Jerusalem, that's in chapter 21. The invitations to the wedding feast in chapter 19. In other words, there are repeated references to, um, these, to, to, to these wedding accoutrements, right, all the way through the book of Revelation, especially crowns and the bestowing of new clothes okay and it, 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 she says rosenberg says they acquire a nuptial resonance in other words echoes of marriage right as the text's imagery yeah. 
of victory and celebration coalesce in the nuptial finale. In other words, it all ends, it all, the whole book um, leads up to a wedding, right? Right. Now, Rosenberg sees this. She is a non-LDS scholar who has seen that the entire book of Revelation is based on a wedding ceremony. In other words, Revelation is the story of a bride and a bridegroom. Okay. The Savior's role as bridegroom comes naturally from his roles as king and priest, right? Mm-hmm. Those are related. The Jews considered considered it a duty to marry, uh, especially for priests. It was a priesthood responsibility. Um, priests had the responsibility to, to marry in order to maintain the hereditary priesthood, right? Mm-hmm. You couldn't have uh, uh, the sons of Aaron and the descendants of Aaron be the mm-hmm. priesthood unless you had sons, right? So you right, have right. to have... Uh, marriages. Right. Priests were required to get married mm-hmm. and to have children if they could, mm-hmm. right? Um, way back in 1855, uh, July 14th, 1855, uh, Brigham Young said this. He, he tied kingship and priesthood to eternal marriage and eternal increase. And he said this, quote, We understand that we are to be made kings and priests unto God. Now, I may become the father of many fathers, or the king of many kings. This will constitute every man a prince, king, lord, or whatever the father sees fit to confer upon us. Closing the quote. So, a royal priest and priestess are also what? A bridegroom and a bride, right? That makes sense. Yeah. Their posterity will make up an eternal kingdom, sealed to them through the most intimate of connections, right? Parent to child, right? Mm-hmm. We might ask ourselves why God wants to make us kings and priests and queens and priestesses. Well, this question was answered by... Um, another general authority, President George Q. Cannon, uh, in a talk he gave on October 31st, 1880. He says this, quote, When we talk about celestial glory, we talk of the condition of endless increase. If we obtain celestial glory in the fullest sense of the word, then we have wives and children in eternity. We have the power of endless lives granted unto us the power of propagation that will endure through all eternity, all becoming gods. Wow. Close quote. Right. Okay. So we, <clears throat> we gain endless lives through the highest ordinance of the priesthood, which is the marriage covenant. Um, John, in the book of Revelation, likens the Savior to a, a bridegroom, Right coming from the bridal chamber. He is the great exemplar of that covenant. And like the Savior, we can become gods and goddesses in our own kingdoms through that same marriage covenant. Yeah, that's pretty profound. Okay, we know that Christ is the bridegroom, but who is the bride? Good. Yeah, well, 
that's that's a good question. We we have to go back to the temple to find that out. You remember that Christ appeared in the cave temple, standing next to the menorah. Do you remember that? Yes, remember. Yeah. And the menorah is that glowing lamp stand, uh, which stands just outside the veil. Mm-hmm. Well, the menorah is the bride. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> okay, now you'll have to follow this here because it gets kind of complicated. Okay. Okay, let me explain. I'll put on my simple hat. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> on one level, the menorah symbolizes the tree of life. Okay. Got it. Got it. It's like a tree. It looks like a tree. Right. Margaret Barker, that famous um, Old Testament scholar that I was telling you about some time back, Margaret Barker, she's not LDS, she says this, colored like the sun with beautiful branches, the fiery tree of life immediately brings to mind the menorah. The menorah denotes the sacred cosmic tree, the source of fruitfulness that nourished not only life here in this world, but held the hope of immortality. These are all traits of the mother. Okay? You, you with me so far? I am. What came to my mind was the tree of life, the fruit from the tree of life being sweet to the most, right. the most amazing yeah. tasting fruit. Yeah. Because it was the love of God. Right. And the fruit of the tree of life, children. Right. Well, the tree sense. itself... The mother. mother. Yes, yes. The menorah, the tree of life. Right, okay, right. so okay, so I'm tracking. Are you, you tracking? I'm tracking with you. Okay. Yeah. Um, now, uh, the uh, the woman, the bride, also is wisdom. Okay, in, in Proverbs three, wisdom is a tree of life to them who lay hold upon her. Uh, in the Apocryphon of John, which is an apocalyptic book, Eve is wisdom. She who came down in innocence, she was called life, okay. which is the mother of the living. Right. Okay. Another scholar, um, another non-LDS scholar, Asphodel Long, says this, quote, The female divine figure was always associated with trees. Close quote. The tree of life signaling the presence of this divine female being. Okay. So the divine female being equals tree of life, right. which equals menorah. Okay. You right. following yeah, I'm, this? I'm tracking with you. It's, a, it's polyvalent symbolism. Yes. I right? was going to say polyvalent. We yeah. talked about that. So let's bring all this together. Right, right. The menorah equals tree of life which equals Eve, mother of all living. So the menorah is the emblem of the bride in the cave temple of John. Are you following me? I am. It's complicated, but if I understand you, you're saying that the lampstand in John's vision stands for all mothers and all wives. Exactly. Good. That's right. Okay. Now, obviously, a lot of this knowledge has gotten lost. Yeah. When people read that, they don't think, oh, the menorah equals the bride. Right, right. Okay. And it's easy to overlook these connections because they're not apparent to us moderns. Okay. But John's hearers would have understood it. Right. Um, Asphodel Long, the, the um, 
scholar points this out when he says, quote, the menorah's connection with the female aspect of divinity has been lost in time, but traces of that connection remain. For example, in one Jewish apocryphal book called the Zohar, quote, the tree of life blooms when the bride prepares herself to enter under the shade of the canopy, there to unite herself with her spouse. <laughs> okay, Why so in that? Jewish apocryphal literature, the tree of life is the spouse, okay, yes. of the bridegroom. Right, right. This is all very, very ancient mm -hmm. symbolism, right. which is not apparent to us today. But now we've got to think of this, of the, the, the bride and the tree of life and the menorah as equivalent. Right, right, okay. You, you, you with me so I'm far? with you, I'm with you. Okay. The bride is the menorah standing next to Christ in the temple. Okay. Right, right. So what John said, John, the, the things that John describes, Jesus standing next to the lampstand. Okay. Right. Right. Okay. Or the bridegroom standing next, next to, to the, the bride. bride. Yeah, right, right. Okay. Exactly. Well said. That's the idea. Okay. So the book of Revelation is the story of a marriage. Exactly. Absolutely. The whole book ends with the sacred union of the bride and bridegroom. Okay? It ends there. Wow. Yeah. Uh, in, in chapter 22. Mm -hmm. The entire plan of God leads to that end, doesn't it? Yes. Okay? To ensure the endless generation of priestly kings and queens. To create, quote, families without number. Right? Right. President Spencer W. Kimball taught this, quote, we bring children into the world to become kings and queens and priests and priestesses for our Lord, close quote. That's a profound and powerful statement from yes. a prophet. Yes, it okay. is, yeah. But, okay, now, the bride and bridegroom must be sealed, right? Um, they must be endowed mm -hmm. and sealed and prove their worthiness for the role of Godhood. Revelation takes us through a form of those ordinances um, from the initiatories through the drama of mortality and the passage through the veil, just as in the temple. Wow. Revelation does this. The question in Revelation, though, is who's being endowed and sealed Okay, in this book? Right, right. Okay, who is actually going through this ceremony? Um, the answer is polyvalent. I remember that word. Yeah, well, I'm once what again, does polyvalent it mean? It what means is it? The, the same symbol can mean different things. Yes, okay, right, exactly. Right. At one level, we might be observing John's own endowment. Okay. In Revelation, John himself enters a heavenly temple. That starts in chapter 4. To receive knowledge necessary for exaltation. In the book of Enoch, that prophet, Enoch, also undergoes an endowment. He's guided by angels to increasingly sacred degrees to the highest heaven. He is anointed, mm -hmm. clothed in glorious robes, and given a new name. Wow, okay. He then witnesses the heavenly council, the secrets of creation, the conflict with Satan, 
and the Eden drama. And at last, he returns to the earth to teach what he has learned. That's wow. all in the book of Enoch. Yeah, it's pretty profound. Other, other apocalyptic writings follow pretty much the same script, such as um, The Ascension of Isaiah, which is another an apocryphal book, The Apocalypse of Abraham, The Testament of Levi. Um, in each of these apocalypses, the angels clothed the prophet in sacred white vestments and unveiled God's plan to him. Okay, wow. See? Wow. Yeah. So, at another level, okay, now we're moving to a different level. Okay. The Lamb of God is the bridegroom. And his church is the bride. The church accompanies him through the endowment and sealing. At the end of Revelation, an angel shows John, the bride, the lamb's wife, quote, unquote, the lamb's wife, a symbol for the new Jerusalem, which is in turn a symbol of the celestial kingdom. Okay. So at that level, uh, the bridegroom is the savior and the church is the bride. At yet another level, okay, remember we're polyvalent here. Mm -hmm. The bridegroom is, quote, um, Revelation 14, 14, bridegroom is, quote, one like unto the son of man. Now follow me here. In Hebrew, the word Adam means man. Right. And the phrase ben Adam means a son of man. Right. Okay. In the temple, every man stands in the place of Adam. Adam. Mm -hmm. Okay. The man in Hebrew. Mm -hmm. The man. Um, Paul says in the New Testament, he says, as we have borne the image of the earthy Adam, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly Adam. That is, in the temple, we become the man, Adam, who grows into a redeemed, exalted Adam. Okay, that's in 1 Corinthians 15. Likewise, every woman stands in the place of whom? Right? Of Eve. Eve. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she becomes an exalted bride. Right. Therefore, what we see in Revelation is our own endowment, sealing, and eternal destiny. Wow. Okay? That makes so much sense. Okay, so you read all of these meanings into the book of Revelation. Each of these levels is instructive to us. But it's most meaningful, I think, to liken it to ourselves. Mm -hmm. We get to follow the Savior through the ordinances that will help us to become like Him. Uh, the first set of ordinances is called the Initiatories which are described in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation. And that's what we're going to talk about next time. Thank you, Breck. This is, this is truly profound, truly profound content. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you.